Well, it seems to me that the, the nature of the ultimate revolution with which we are now faced is precisely this, that we are in process of developing a whole series of techniques which uh, will enable the controlling oligarchy, who have always existed and presumably always will exist, uh, to get people actually to love their servitude. Uh, this is, the, seems to me, the, the ultimate uh, in malevolent revolution, shall we say. These high school boys and girls are having a hop at the local soda fountain. Innocently, they dance. Innocent of a new and deadly menace lurking behind closed doors. Marijuana, the burning weed with its roots in hell. In this film, you will see the ease with which this vicious plant can be grown in your neighbor's yard, rolled into harmless-looking cigarettes, hidden in an innocent shoe or watch case. In this startling film, you will see dopesters lure children to destruction. You know, I went to Haight-Ashbury, expecting it to be this brilliant place. I thought it was going to be all these groovy, kind of gypsy kind of people with little shops making works of art and paintings and carvings. But instead, it turned out to be just a lot of bums. And many of them were just very young kids who'd come from all over America and dropped acid and gone to this mecca of LSD. We'd walk down the street and I was like being treated like the Messiah or something. I was really afraid because I could see all these spotty youths and they were still an undercurrent of Beatlemania but from a kind of twisted <laughs> angle. And they were, people were handing me things. Like, there was this big pipe, like a big Indian pipe with feathers on it, and, and books, and incense, and, you know, all kinds of stuff, and, and trying to give me drugs. You know, I say, no thanks, I don't want it. There is no doubt that marijuana on the market has become a legitimate billion-dollar business. Currently, 19 states and Washington, D.C. have legalized the recreational use of it. And with only five days until Election Day, Legalizing the drug is on the ballot in five other states, including Arkansas and Maryland. And that brings us back to the famous quote from Hamlet. Well, at least part of the quote, to legalize or not to legalize, that is the question. Welcome back to an episode of Our Interesting Times. It's my pleasure to have Dr. E. Michael Jones back on the show. He returns to discuss the, uh, the feature article in this April's Culture Wars magazine, Michigan for Dummies, How Rainbow Farm Inaugurated Dope Culture in the Wolverine State. Uh, Dr. Jones, how are you doing this today? Good, Jim. Good to be here. 
Well, thank you for being on the show. Of course, you are the editor of Culture Wars magazine and the author of many books, including The Dangers of Beauty, The Conflict Between Mimesis and Concupiscence in the Fine Arts, many other books, of course, uh, e-books, thousand-page books. So <laughs> you've produced a lot over the, over the years. Um, so this article uh, focuses on Michigan and the Midwest, uh, the, the, sort of the, the drug culture at it intersects with sort of the elite plan to, uh, I guess, to uh, 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 control the, the working class, the, the masses, if you will, make them docile wage earners and then eventually zombies <laughs> in the article. You cover the, the, um, the, uh, this um, movement to legalize marijuana and how it connects to the oligarch uh, plan to, uh, to enslave humanity. And also how it relates to you know, things like the sexual revolution, the counterculture, how things were promoted by the elite and the oligarchy. And you and what you do with this article is you sort of focus on on a, an issue in Michigan uh, with this with this with these two guys who ended up being shot dead by the FBI um, uh, because he was being I guess targeted by a local prosecutor. And because uh, as you say, because he was high on marijuana, he what didn't maybe exercise the best judgment and was highly paranoid and led to his death. But I'll let you introduce the article, Michigan for Dummies. Yeah, thank you. I I, uh, I went, uh, I, I watched this story uh, uh, in real time when it happened uh, through the South Bend Tribune, which was the main source of all the articles uh, on the original happening. So uh, Vandalia is about uh, 30 miles northeast of here. And uh, we got regular reports about going on. And I just remember these guys, uh, a guy who uh, had a, a rifle and was walking on his own property uh, because he felt he, he had a right to do that. But the FBI used it as an excuse to kill him. Uh, and it made a big impression on me at the time. And I, I said, you know, have, owning a gun is giving the FBI a license to kill you. I, I think that's true. I think that's true to this day. I had a friend who was a a hippie at Notre Dame when uh, when everybody at Notre Dame had a crew cut, and uh, he told me this story. He was the folk the guy the folk music guy, and eventually the Irish music guy. And I used to play Irish music with him. And he told me uh, the story. He's about two years older than me, and he told me the story that he was on the campus and some guy came up to him and said kid guy in a suit kid are you a revolutionary and my friend said yeah and he said come here kid i got something for you and he opened up the trunk of his car and it was full of guns and he said take a gun kid hmm. well the, the the inference was obvious to me this is the same time that around the same time that the uh, fbi went after the black panthers in Chicago. Was he wearing a hat too? Like they had to do back then. <laughs> he didn't mention wear, uh, wearing a hat. <laughs> but uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the agent, the agent provocateur that the FBI hired, the first thing he did was to start stockpiling guns and then called the local police and said they're stockpiling guns. So, you know, guns are a, a, a license to, for the FBI to kill you. Uh, now, this is only one, one layer of this story. Um, what you have is the convergence of a number of narratives, like Western Michigan narratives. And one of them, uh, they're national narratives. So the hippie movement was a national narrative 
that got uh, picked up by these guys. Uh, Crossland in particular, he's poor white trash from Eastern Tennessee. His father moved up to Elkhart to build RVs and he uh, encounters the counterculture and becomes the first guy promoting marijuana in his high school and never really gets back. He never get, gets on track. That's all he ever did. And eventually, uh, that, this, this is, in a sense, the story of the working class. What happens to the working class? Do we, do we have a working class? Why don't we talk about workers anymore? Uh, and this is part of the, I'm giving you the answer here, because they were all turned into hippies. The working class in Northern Indiana, uh, the that generation, the second generation of the group that moved up there from the South uh, became hippies and they started smoking dope. And this became a, a counterculture. And, and what I'm realizing is the more you look into it, the more you realize it was, they were targeted. This, this didn't happen by itself. We're talking about the CIA, uh, the involvement of the CIA with, with MK Ultra, uh, the LSD program. Uh, and then I think to get to get to the heart of the matter, you need to talk about Aldous Huxley and Brave New World. I think that is that is a seminal book if you want to understand how the oligarchs viewed the masses as, as of the 1930s. Uh, and the fundamental uh, understanding of that book is, you, you, you know, uh, pain, uh, pleasure is a more powerful way to control people than pain. And Huxley took that to its logical conclusion and said, what we need to do is to come up with the ideal drug. He called it Soma in uh, Brave New World based on Hindu mythology. Uh, and he didn't give a, de a definite, uh, uh, it wasn't a definite drug at that point, and it was deliberately not stated as a definite drug. Uh, and what happened over this period of time is that the the people who really took Huxley seriously, namely the CIA, uh, tried a number of different drugs in, in conjunction with Big Pharma to control the population. That's So it's it's like, an addendum. It's like the uh, the appendix to my book, Libido Dominandi, how sexual liberation was used as a form of control. That's exactly what happened then. But drugs was part of it. And if you want to know the whole story, it's called Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. It was a psyop aimed at my generation. Crossland was younger than me, but it was aimed at our generation. And the first target was the anti-war movement. Uh, which posed a significant threat to the establishment at this period of time, because our generation was uh, pretty much against the war, certainly against the draft. So how do you deal with this? How do you deal with these group of people? Do you uh, send in the horses and with uh, cops with clubs and beat them? Uh, they tried that in Chicago. The local cops would try that, but the, uh, the national cops were smarter than that and they tried uh, uh, to basically use a band like the Grateful Dead as a way of distributing LSD among people who were protesting the war and wreck the anti-war movement because they're all completely deranged. Now with the Grateful Dead there's a direct connection to, to, between them and the CIA right? Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. The guy who was making the drugs was a guy named Owsley, who was a chemist. But this this is this is pretty well known. But if you read if you read Huxley's Brave New World, you start to realize that he was really impressed with Henry Ford. He just thought this was the 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 wave of the future. People working in factories. So you got these two two things. You want to control the masses, but you still want them to be working in the factory too. So uh, alcohol is not a good idea. And Henry Ford knew that. That's why there are uh, Arab or Lebanese Muslims in Dearborn, the headquarters of world headquarters of Ford Motor Company, because they didn't drink. And, you know, as Oscar Wilde once said that uh, work is the curse of the drinking class. <laughs> but some people felt that drink was the curse of the working class. <laughs> And Henry Ford was one of them. And Huxley is attuned to this idea. So what, what you see now is, let's, let's come up with the, the Soma, which will be the drug that you can use uh, to turn these people into zombies who can still pull the lever on the assembly line. I think that's what, what Huxley's goal was. And it, it, it broadened out uh, from that. Now, you add to that fact that uh, I think Michigan was the headquarters of America first. Uh, Charles Coughlin was the priest at the uh, Little Flower Parish in Royal Oak. Henry Ford obviously came from uh, Detroit, the Ford Motor Company. Uh, you have here the Catholic and the ethnic uh, combining with the worker uh, manufacturing high wages, a sense of independence. And then you add to that Charles Lindbergh, who actually grew up in uh, Detroit with his grandmother after his parents divorced. So Detroit is considered a powerhouse. And it's the antithesis of Wall Street. And so what you have uh, is a not, not precisely a Catholic-Jewish battle, but something like that a manufacturing versus finance battle. Henry Ford on his, was on his deathbed and a, a reporter, it's 1947, asked him, uh, what do you think about taking the Ford company public? And he said, got up on one elbow and said, I'll tear this building down brick by brick before I hand it over to the Jews. So these were people who knew how to say the word Jew. Uh, and they posed a potent threat to the, people who were now had their eye on a world empire. Uh, and we are now in the twilight of that world empire. But that back then, that was the, the prize. And so what you have now is, how do, we, how do we get these people to be docile, wage slaves, and sex robots, and still show up at work and pull the lever and create all the manufacturing that we need to be a, a, a happy, successful empire. I think that's that's pretty much the gist of what what happened here. Yes, yeah, I you I was reading the article and it, it, it again it's layered and it's several stories, but they all intersect really uh, because you do have the promotion of the drug culture and the promotion of the counterculture and also the sexual revolution. 
sort of the um, the agenda of the authoritarian personality, undermining um, sexual mor- undermining the authority of the family by chiefly by promoting um, uh, sexual immorality, sexual deviance. Right, and, and all that converges in the twentieth and mid twentieth century. Uh, of course, perfectly timed with the development of television, mass and mass media, which is of course uh, dominated by uh, by Jews, Hollywood, right. and and uh, the the um, the networks, network television, and also the music industry. And of course, you know, it, it's interesting that Henry Ford would equate taking Ford public to uh, to control by Jews because obviously it goes public. All of a sudden, high finance steps in, right. And, you know, and that, of course, we saw that happen in the in the in the 1980s with the leveraged buyouts and the industrialization yeah. of the United States. Article on Jack Nicholas, the sad yes. story of Jack Nicholas, mm-hmm. who basically, uh, you know, got taken over by the Jews. You know, got bought out. And uh, it's the yeah the, the the confusion of money with wealth. That's right. Yeah, it's a big confusion out there. Mm-hmm. So also you've got this uh, the fact that uh, well wait a minute who was who was uh, working for MK Ultra it turns out it was a Jewish operation uh, run by a guy named Sidney Gottlieb I always thought it was Nazis you know paperclip Nazis but I I, I don't find any <laughs> it's always these Jews that are in MK Ultra I mean, they were building rockets Werner von Braun I think was building rockets they were manufacturing useful things right. <laughs> right, rockets. Uh, but no, MK Ultra was a Jewish operation, mm-hmm. and and they were specializing in all sorts of things that are completely detrimental to uh, the social fabric, the moral order, and a, uh, a an effective working working class working workforce. All of these things were on the line, and Michigan, uh, I think, epitomized it. I think it does to this day. To be honest with you. I think that there are still people out there in the FBI who think that uh, Michigan is a hotbed of of white guys who are ready to take over the world or something like that. I, oh, yeah. We saw it's wrestling with the uh, kidnapping plot. And also, you mentioned the article. You mentioned both these in the article, the kidnapping plot of Governor Whitmore, which is an FBI sting operation working with the uh, lesbian attorney general out there, Danny Nissel. Yeah. And also the was a Hutari, the Hutari case or something. Yeah, the Hoodery. Hoodery, that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, uh, about 15 years ago. Guys with a a 22 and three bullets until the FBI showed up and suddenly they had explosives and automatic weapons. Mm -hmm. And that that case lasted about 15 minutes and was thrown out as an entrapment case. The the other thing, the kidnapping plot was originally thrown out as an entrapment case, and then they they somehow spun it so that they, they could get these guys involved. That was before the FBI got such a terrible reputation, which they have right now. And I think that this, uh, as we were talking before, the latest leak story, Texera, whatever this guy's name is. Yeah. That sounds fishy to me because it's exactly the profile that Josh Hawley exposed when he was grilling Merrick Garland. They're going after Catholics. And the, the conservative Catholic now is... Uh, kind of running, competing neck and neck with the white supremacist as the threat to the republic. You're yeah, talking uh, yeah. to someone who was on that list. Well, this he would have been easy to set up because being online, they could have gathered his profile and, uh, you know, he's got here, he's working for the Air National Guard in Massachusetts. 
is like anything if you're online you're you're you're, you're being monitored uh, and if they target you they can find them they can profile you and set you up and yeah someone i think you mentioned was it larry johnson yeah you said there's no way that this this kid this young man had access to that much information unless it was given to him by somebody right yeah, he didn't. He didn't. He couldn't speculate there. But he said that somebody of his rank and age, there's no way he had access to top secret documents. No mm -hmm. way. And so either someone set the kid up, or maybe they're using him. Maybe I think that the most plausible explanation is that there are large segments of the military who are unhappy with uh, the the, pol the politicians who are throwing them into a war that they can't win. Yeah, it's, it's it's messing up their military industrial complex because that relies on the dollar. They're killing the they're killing the dollar by weaponizing it. Uh, the Biden administration with all the sanctions, and um, you know, it, obviously something like a deep state or even the the Pentagon. It's not it's not um, you know monolithic, and, and oh. I, maybe even the White House is even monolithic. The people in the White, White House might think this is crazy. So someone on the National Security Council might be involved or something. I've heard that speculation. Is, as well too that, uh, it's that, interesting that the media focuses on the leak but not what the information that's being leaked which um pretty much shows you know what a what a uh, uh <laughs> what a what a mess the ukraine is and what they've gotten the trouble they've gotten the united states and the world into with this uh war they provoked last year i i i take the long view on this thing i think that god appointed joe biden to bring about the end of the american empire this is his role in history. That's not his intention, but uh, you know, Hegel never put much stock in the intention of the wicked, that God can use them to bring about his plan. Uh, but the people who are doing it for him are, are the group I've called Biden's minion. It's it's Jew, Jews are running this operation. They're running the Biden administration. There's no question about it. And at the beginning, you know, all the Jewish newspapers was, you know, they're kind of quelling here. They're kind of be, being real proud of all these Jews and they got a minion. Well, what happens when the whole thing goes, uh, goes, falls apart? What happens when uh, it, it becomes obvious that uh, Anthony Blinken is the worst secretary of state in the history of the United States, completely incompetent? Like Merrick Garland, completely incapable of representing the American people completely incapable of uh, any type of realistic understanding, a guy whose main characteristic is his ability to break off negotiations. He's famous for breaking off negotiations or, show, or swaggering into a room and announcing to Sergei, giving dicta dictating ultimata to Serge, uh, Sergei uh, Lavrov and then walking out of the room. Uh, those days are gone. Uh, maybe I don't think they ever existed. I don't think there were ever the, uh, people of this arrogance whose main qualification for the job is their ability to say, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust, uh, which completely impedes their ability to do their job from top to bottom. This is what the Biden administration is. And if I were uh, a, 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 a military man committed to the American empire, I'd really be upset. Mm -hmm. I can see they are ruining it. They're 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 destroying it. I'm not a. I don't think the American Empire is a good idea. I I said in Mashad to the other uh, Phil Giraldi, he was in the audience. I said, I'm praying for a peaceful end to the American Empire. I think we should go back to the Republic. Uh, 
But, you know, I, it's easy to see that there are ex-CIA guys and military guys like Colonel McGregor, kind of like the top of the, the most visible of these guys, who are completely opposed to the current policy in the Ukraine and feel helpless uh, it, to, to stem the tide because all the people that made it to the top are people like Admiral Kirby. <laughs> Every time I listen to this guy, I think... How did how did he get to the top? These guys said that American people have no business seeing the information that was leaked. <laughs> yeah, I, where does this sounds familiar? It's like the governor of Virginia saying parents have no business asking what we're teaching their children. A, a kind of arrogant uh, attitude, I would say. Yeah, we're, well, I think we're eighty billion in the hole then in Ukraine. We have no business knowing what's going on there. Yeah, and so the other Jew there is uh, uh, Miss Yellen. Who shows up? Why is she in the Ukraine? Why is Merrick Garland in the Ukraine? Why is the Attorney General in a foreign country? Why isn't he enforcing the law here? Well, uh, Janet Yellen shows up and she promises him another $1.2 billion. This is a Jewish operation here. It's a totally Jewish operation. If you say that, you're immediately called an anti Semite. As soon as you say, well, the Jews are, are doing a terrible job, that's ipso facto, prima facie anti-Semitism, to have the, the chutzpah to question a Jew's competence? Who do you think you are, you goy? Especially when they're the beneficiaries of it. Like this, uh, it turns out that... One Jew handing money to another Jew. <laughs> yes, and it's borrowed money, too. <laughs> it's my money. Yes. Compound interest, right? Yeah. And then uh, just today I saw, there's all the big hitters on Wall Street saying, we have to win this war. Because we're going to invest in the Ukraine. You're going to buy it up for pennies on the dollar. Buy up the best agricultural land in Europe and maybe in the world for pennies on the dollar. That's what you call investing in the Ukraine. And the Jew in charge is going to facilitate this in the same way that the Jews were in on the looting of the Soviet Union beginning in 1991. Yeah, that's what Larry Fink's negotiating with Zelensky, right? As we speak. Yeah, Zelensky already said we're going to partner with Larry Fink. One Jew talks to another. I guess then after they, they pull it off, they'll just say, well, we just own all the land there because we have higher IQ. It was smarter and work harder than everyone else. Yeah, and the other thing is that you also engaged in the ethnic cleansing of the Ukrainian people. This shows you how fiendish this plot is. And they, those Ukrainians all end up in Ireland, where they are now engaging in the displacement of the native people of Ireland. This is what's going on now. And it's a Jewish operation from start to finish. Well, yeah, I mean, to repair the world, you got to break a few eggs, right? That's right. That's how they, how they look at it. Uh, but this also uh, plays into the role, the, the, the destruction of Detroit and uh, Michigan and the Midwest as the as the uh, the manufacturing center of the world because it was uh, deindustrialized largely because of financialization and their schemes in the 1970s and 80s. Correct. Right. Yeah. The era of the leverage buyouts in the 1980s was basically putting up all. Uh, so just to show you that it wasn't just Jews, uh, Mitt Romney was heavily involved in this thing. But mm -hmm. on the other hand, the big operation that did this was the Carlisle Group, which is a Jewish operation, which is the group that funds the American Enterprise Institute, 
which is a an avowedly Zionist operation. So yeah, it was financed. The base, the financialization of the um, uh, manufacturing base of the United States of America, uh, which is basically here's here's money, uh, but there goes your means of production. Labor is the source of all value. In order to turn labor into money, you need a machine. And that's what capital is. And that's what the manufacturing base was. And it was a powerful, uh, at one time, obviously the most powerful manufacturing plant in the world. After World War II, uh, the United States was responsible for, I, I think it was uh, the figure that pops in my mind is 45%, 50% of the world's manufacturers Manufactured goods came from the United States at a time when the Chinese were lucky if they were had a rice paddy to work in. And now it's completely reversed, and it's our Jewish friends who did it to us. The leverage buyouts of the 80s when Reagan wanted Jew money to finance his campaign, and so he gave them a license to loot, load industry down with debt, skim the money off the top. It, they changed the tax rate. Okay, in the 1950s, you if you made over a certain amount, you paid 90% in taxes, which meant the you kept the money in the corporation. And the corporation took care of you by providing all sorts of ta tangible goods. Uh, and you never had to pay taxes on it. That all changed when Reagan changed the tax rate. And now it made sense to loot these companies, steal the money, uh, load the company down with debt, let it go belly up because, hey, we're moving all our manufacturing to China anyway. We're going to offshore the manufacturing. I remember Bill Rusher, who was the publisher of uh, National Review, said, this is the inside story. I just got it. A, a totally obnoxious guy, uh, an obnoxious magazine, and an obnoxious ideology that basically sold out the American people in the name of patriotism. Well, in the article you, you do, you um, write about the conservative movement as sort of a controlled opposition, um, controlled largely by Jews and the, the American regime to sort of, um, uh, well, prevent anything like America First ever developing again. Right. So you, you corral the right wing in, into the conservative, William of Buckley's conservative camp, National View, which some people link to CIA, which isn't a, much of a stretch if you consider you know, operations like the uh, Congress of Cultural Freedom, and also just the, the, the connection of publishing like Henry Luce's uh, Time Life Empire to to that environment, milieu, if you will, skull and bones. He came out of that environment. And the fact that all the major, um, I think all the uh, the news execs like uh, like uh, William Perley and Sarnoff, Jewish, of course, came out of uh, the OSS and Office of War Information World War II. So there were intelligence operatives and, and also Jewish agents. So it, it, they all kind of converged in the 1950s to make sure that no real opposition ever uh, developed again to something like that we saw in the, 19, in the late 1930s, early 1940s, you know, the opposition to America's entry into, into the Second World War, which uh, initially did benefit Detroit immensely because they, they, they were capitalized with, like, I think, like almost $40 billion from the federal government. To, um, uh, to you know, to to uh, I guess arm fill the arsenal of democracy, if you will. Um, uh, but I guess someone made a decision that that was going to end in the, in the 1970s, and you had the deindustrialization, and because that that goes with the rise of the petrodollar, uh, and um, the financialization of the U.S. economy and explosion in debt. The Wall 
Volcker, uh, the Volcker Fed, mm -hmm. which viewed labor as the enemy. They viewed wages as the enemy. As soon as wages go up, they have to uh, raise interest rates and kill kill it. It's like chemotherapy had to be applied to the economy. Mm -hmm. A lot of those places never recovered. A lot of the places that were killed during the 1980s. I was just up in Michigan at Manistee, I believe, uh, and there's a steel mill. And, uh, and now it's a uh, coffee shop. A steel mill that is now a coffee shop. It's like Hershey, Pennsylvania, where the steel mill is now a mall. Well, I guess it's better than being a casino. <laughs> Wait a minute, there is a casino too. Right? Yeah. So you look at the thing and say, "Hey, when did this? When did this steel mill become a coffee shop?" Well, it was 1981. There was the plaque is right there on the wall, uh -huh. thanks to the Fed and Mr. Folk, Paul Folker, raising interest rates and driving these little mid-sized companies to the wall. And you also focused on libertarianism. Uh, of course, libertarianism is invoked. Uh, 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 against the drug war, uh, which a lot of these people are opposed to the drug war, and you do cite the, you know, the corruption of the drug war, civil asset forfeiture, and some of the uh, intrusions or violations of due process, and this, this actually creates a, a lot of embitterment and also righteous anger against the abuse of these laws. But nevertheless, this libertarian idea is used to justify the um, the consumption of drugs, where you can just go out and get high and just be your own person. Of course, that itself is a, is antisocial and it, it does serve the interest of the oligarchs because it, it destroys any basis for any communal or community-based opposition, like a labor union or a parish or a community that might actually be able to organize and uh, assert the working man's interest collectively against you know something, a collective like big business, right, or, or Wall Street, which is obviously a collective in many respects. But yeah. it destroys the ability of the working man, the little guy, to organize and put up some opposition or at least be able to um, – uh, uh, make his claim in an organized fashion and provide some sort of resistance to their, into their, to their uh, megalomaniacal globalist plans that we see today, right? Yeah, libertarianism is the the ideology of Western Michigan. I don't think there's any question, uh, and it it just it, it allows uh, uh, gives a justification for dope, uh, for sex. Uh, it, it it destroys any type of social cohesion because it turns everybody into individuals, isolated individuals. And it allows basically the uh, oligarchs to free reign, to do what they want. And so, of course, the oligarchs are going to promote it. And of course, they're going to find uh, someone to be their front man. And of course, Robert Sirica and the Acton Institute is head headquartered in Western Michigan funded by Calvinists, funded by oligarchs who want to put this homosexual uh, who hid his home. I, I think he hid it. He hid it from a lot of people until we at Culture Wars exposed his previous career as a homosexual activist on the West Coast. Uh, hid it from, uh, I assume, from the uh, Paulist. I think he was ordained by the Paulist. You're not allowed to be a homosexual and be ordained, but he was. And then he became a double agent uh, who had the backing of uh, the bishop. Uh, bishop wouldn't do anything against this guy, even though his whole purpose in life was undermining Catholic social teaching. He went. He was quoted in the New York Times as saying, "Rerum novarum no longer applies." 
Well, if you're Pope, you can't say that. So how does this this uh, homosexual priest from Western Michigan have the right to say this type of stuff? Well, because libertarianism is de facto the philosophy of Western Michigan and of our culture. I'd say I have to say our culture because it comes together. It's it's a win-win situation. It's the uh, capitalism and sexual liberation and dope uh, and just go off and do whatever you want. This during the 1970s in San Francisco, all the homosexuals became libertarians. Justin Raimondo is an example. He's dead now, but he used to write for Chronicles. Most famous guy was Michel Foucault. He became a libertarian. He started teaching Austrian school economics at Berkeley. That's that's the that's the regnant that's a, a completely. I mean, nobody takes this seriously outside of Western Michigan, and and it's and the confines of the Acton Institute and places like that. Yeah, you're that, right. There's a person who wrote the book. Sorry, go ahead. Western Michigan is completely helpless. The church has capitulated. The state has capitulated, and people like Cross and they're just handed over to their passions. And then when they get out of control, the FBI comes in and kills them. Yeah, and you, you cite um, uh, the, why the oligarchs supporting drug legalization, particularly marijuana, George Soros, and uh, another billionaire, I think, progressive insurance guy. Was this Peter Peter Tile? Is that the guy? No, he's another one, but... Um, who, I forget the name of the guy that uh, who was heavily involved. He's in Michigan too. He was heavily involved in the uh, promoting uh, drug uh, decriminalization, drug legalization. Yeah, so he's what, uh, he's an insurance, what, I think. Um, on the working force, is this going to make? So I'm I'm uh, you know I got I ride a bicycle whenever I'm in South Bend. P P Peter Lewis, right? Who? It? Peter Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's the name. Yeah. Anyway, I'm you ride. There's a line of cars stopped at the light. I don't. I go right past the line of cars, go right through the light because I have bicycle privilege. But when I'm riding down there now, I smell dope every time I go by a car. I'm smelling dope, and it's uh, we're about ten miles south of the Michigan line. It's illegal here, but it's all over the place. You can smell it whenever you go by a car. Now, drug legal, uh, drug legalization, decriminalization, particularly marijuana. You write an article that was again, once again, it's a um, it's a Jewish initiative. Well, yeah, I mean, who who are the main promoters? Go through the names, like Carl Sagan. You know, there oh, I forget all the names that when Carl Sagan did that thing. It's it's in that part of the article. Uh, who were who were the the normal people? Mm -hmm. Anyway, I, the, it was, was it Grinspoon or something was his name yeah, with Grinspoon, the book. Yeah, that was that was another one. Yeah, he was basically the father of uh, marijuana uh, legalization. And and this guy uh, eventually um, Crossland linked up with this guy and then he became a local cult figure and he had these hemp fests every every summer and drew a lot of people. So you're drawing a lot of these people into this is basically what used to be the working class. And now it's like the gig economy. I mean, I suppose a lot of them had jobs in Elkhart at the RV things. 
but that's not that's not good paying jobs at Ford Motor Company in Detroit. This is kind of a a lot of them are, are the Amish. I'm not saying the Amish smoke dope, but uh, a lot of the Amish work in the uh, the RV factories there because they're local people. This is um, the the downward trend in the economy that was promoted by people like Sirica, whose job was to drive down wages. Uh, and as a result, you have fewer and fewer skilled people who can do less and less and spend more and more of their time as on, on dope, high on dope, uh, not learning the skills that their fathers had. And not having families. And not having a family. That's yeah. right. So it's the hookup culture. And he was the head of that hookup counterculture. And uh, so so you had these two, these conflicting personae. They're both Western Michigan personae. One is the hippie version Okay, which was a national thing. It was kind of late. I mean, you're talking about tie-dyed shirts in 2000. That you're kind of late for, to the get to the party. But the other part of it was the uh, militias, the Michigan militias. Both are a function of libertarianism. You know, they're these guys that we're going to defend. We have a right to bear arms, and as a result, we have a right to do this. And sure, you've got the right until the FBI shows up and guns you down. And calls you a white supremacist, uh, or it, it involves you in an entrapment case, uh, and then suddenly you don't have the right because you're dead, and dead men have no rights. Yeah, well, they'll send an agent provocateurs, which obviously they did in these cases, or when you, if you engage in a protest, the media will spin it in a way that makes you look like you're violent and threatening. And right, what they'll call Black Lives Matter Antifa, mostly peaceful protest. No. Yeah, th th that's exactly what Michigan was. It was a trial run for the January 6th so-called insurrection. The FBI staged this thing at the Lan at Lansing, at the state uh, capitol. They actually staged something there where the armed men marched in and kind of took over the capitol for a while. And the guy who orchestrated that then got transferred to Washington. And they, they the FBI created that so-called insurrection in Washington. Yeah, you point out the actual agent in charge of uh, the, uh, uh, I think the kidnapping plot was uh, came to Washington, D.C. just before the January 6th uh, event. Right. David, what, Antonio or Antuano or something was his name? I'd have to, I'd have to look at the, uh, yeah. the article again. Um, so, yeah, so it's, uh, and of course, you, you do mention that Dana Nessel, who was actively involved in that setup as well. And she, uh, again, she's the one going after uh, i guess uh people for hate speech uh but now she focused her attention on the catholic church but at the same time for supposed you know sex abuse cases but at the same time she's become a strong advocate for a drag queen story hour for, for right. children right every every library every library or every school should have a drag queen this is the type of craziness that it, she was put in power by dope money i told the, the Tim Beck is the guy who did it. He was the man who did it. I talked to him uh, uh, at length about the role that dope played in getting Dana Nessel in power. So as soon as Dana Nessel becomes the attorney general for the state of Michigan, drug prosecution stops. Well, she's not going to just sit around and do nothing. There's going to be a constant amount of prosecution in the state. So who's going to uh, who's going to get prosecuted? Well, Dana uh, looked over the Southern Poverty Law Center uh, list 
of dangerous groups, hate groups. I'm I'm one of them. Fortunately, I'm in the state of Indiana, so she can't come after me. Uh, but uh, so she starts going after uh, the SPLC uh, group. That's a Jewish group. And once again, you have this Jewish law enforcement. It's like she's a Soros prosecutor. Uh, so uh, Soros prosecutors can only go uh, after, like Merrick Garland, they, they go after the people they don't like. And that is actually the majority of the people of the state of Michigan. So it's a, it's a, it's a crisis uh, across the board in our country. So you have places like Chicago. I don't know whether you saw the most recent rioting in Chicago. And you thought, well, Lori Lightfoot's gone. But now we got another a black guy who's d defending these black teenagers who are totally out of control. Yeah, Brandon Johnson, who said you shouldn't be too critical of these uh, exuberant teens. Yeah, ex exuberant youth. He's the one that brags he never failed a student when he was a teacher. He never what? Failed a student. Gave a student an F. Because okay. it, he doesn't think it's possible they're, for someone they're to fail. They're on the streets now, thanks to him. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, he's, uh, right. Yeah. Right. It's what you'd expect. And apparently, yeah, that it was, uh, of course there's a crime ridden areas that are, uh, that have voted for him overwhelmingly. That apparently liberal white women in Chicago, <laughs> from what I understand. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it's, a, and again, you, you see the results of that. There, uh, have a friend who wrote a memoir. She wrote it under a pseudonym. And I brought I brought that into the situation too. So this is a, a Catholic family, uh, five children. The father's a professor, and they get obliterated. The family gets obliterated by sex, drugs, and rock and roll. The old her older brothers were around my age, mm -hmm. and there what you saw was a huge difference between like older baby boomers like me and the younger ones, as the culture simply collapsed along the way under this uh, under these groups of people and the catholic church was uh caught once again unaware can't came can't seem to face up to the real issues and blames itself uh when the parish goes goes bust when everybody leaves uh, this is what happened in philadelphia the pastor blamed himself he was just a bad pastor no sense that there was any social engineering under going under going happening no sense in cardinal kroll cardinal kroll wanted me to write a biography about how he used to play golf with bob hope that was cardinal kroll's idea of a biography and when i wrote something about what really happened he got mad at me uh look at philadelphia now mm -hmm. it's like fentanyl zombies on, at, on kensington avenue that's where both my family and my wife's family both of them came from Kensington or Fishtown. That my my wife's father was a skilled mechanic of the sort that made Philadelphia great. He could fix anything. Ended up making heart patches for infants with holes in their hearts, born with hole in their heart. It was like an umbrella with hooks on the end and you you pass the up the vein into the heart pop it open and you close the heart now he could do that kind of stuff those skills died with him and yeah that, there's there's the uh... order of the working class he, they were uh, episcopalians 
Episcopalian, working class Episcopalians. I mean, isn't this a contradiction in terms <laughs> living in a, 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 a working class manufacturing neighborhood called Fishtown? This is a lost world. It's a completely lost world. And they were betrayed by the the uh, leadership of the Episcopal Church in Philadelphia, the Diocese of Pennsylvania, because they had all become revolutionaries. It was called the Civil Rights Movement, but they were all revolutionaries. The anti-war movement was all emanating out of places like that. And they were betrayed, betrayed by their own, betrayed by their own church. Those things are gone. Now, this is serious because labor is the source of all value. And you've got a group of people running the country who uh, are all uh, devotees of Shylock. Shylocking and economics, they all feel that their, their ducats can copulate faster than Laban's ewes and rams. They're the people running the country and they ran up a big bill, like trillions of dollars. And where are we going to get the money to pay off this, this debt? This is the problem. Especially since the country is not as productive as it was uh, after World War II. Yeah, we're seeing that now with the uh, you know, sh shortage of, of, of munitions. They don't have, we don't have the productive capacity even to, to fight the wars they want to fight. That's right. They're, the power the, they want to project. The Russians are now the arsenal of democracy, or whatever you want to call it. We this is this was our this is the way the way we won the war. I mean, you can call it the arsenal of normalcy. <laughs> but, Things that are normal. The, the 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 Sherman tank was a, they used to call it the uh, the Purple Heart box. It was a terrible tank. It was actually designed by Patton. Uh, it was very fast, very mobile, and it had thin armor. That the uh, eighty eight the shell that the Russian Tiger fired could go through like a knife through hot butter. So you had to out manufacture them. So basically, the strategy. Uh, in World War II, was send four Sherman tanks after one Tiger tank. Three of them would attack frontally, and they'd all die. You're all going to die. Tough luck. In the hope that the fourth tank can get around behind it and fire a, a, a shell into the gas tank. And it was a diesel tank, so it didn't even burn effectively. The way the the Sherman ran on gasoline, and they were just uh, a, a raging inferno as soon as the shell hit them. But we don't even do that now. We can't. We cannot keep up with the Russian manufacturer of artillery shells. All of NATO can't keep up. But we can pass sanctions. We can impose sanctions. Yeah, and that's the same people. Yeah. But they Who's run. The they run the Treasury Department, right? Who Who runs the Treasury Department? <laughs> who runs the Treasury Department? Who runs the Sanctions Department? And who? And and so these Jewish geniuses are bringing about the very opposite of what they intend. So they overplay the sanction hand. They don't know how to, they don't know what limits mean because that's not what Jews believe in. And so they don't believe in logos. And so there are no limits. And so we'll just do it forever. And suddenly you created a situation where the entire, you got 40% of the world under sanctions and the world wakes up and says, hey, we don't need the dollar. We're gonna, we're gonna do our own currency and you're gonna put an end to the dollar as the world's reserve currency. And that's happening as we speak. And because we, uh, the working class has been, we have millions to pay for that. Yeah. So when all those dollars come back, we don't have any productive capacity to meet the demand. So you have hyperinflation. Should that but, happen? But yeah. what do you? So you, you, it's like the 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 story of Midas, or you go back to um, 
Aristotle, money is sterile. Money can't produce anything. Uh, the only thing that can produce something is human labor. And that is the source of all wealth. So if you have all, if you can print all the money in the world, uh, but you don't have the men to produce the shells, what are you going to do? You're just going to drive up the price of each individual shell. And mm -hmm. you're not going to produce uh, enough to counter what the Russians have. Well, people want money because we think it gets stuff that we may want or need, right? Uh, but so ultimately, labor has to produce the stuff. Um, it so, doesn't come out of thin air. Some but, of labor produces it, right? Right. I tried to talk about this in the article on Jack Nicholas. Mm -hmm. He had a thriving business building golf courses, and suddenly he woke up and he said, I think I'll cash out. So some Jew showed up and paid him $150 million. It seems that way at the beginning, but it turns out it was a loan. And, and he ended up having nothing, nothing. Well, what are you going to do with $150 million? Well, you, you have to invest it. Well, you already had something that you could invest in. You had your own business. Now what? What are you going to invest in now? The stock market? Well, that's a casino. You, you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's this blindness that we've been led to uh, one step at a time. Well, look at this talk, this crazy talk about reparations for slavery, as crazy as that is. Uh, well, you can just going to print money and give it to them. Well, who, where is that movie money going to eventually end up? Yeah, we're talking real so, money out in California, aren't we? Yeah, seven point six million or something. dollars for every every black person. What do you? How about can we prorate it if depending on how much white blood you have in your veins? Yes. Yeah. How do How do I know you're black? Like Obama. Let's say Obama shows up for reparations payments. Can we discount it at fifty percent because he's half white? Mm -hmm. <laughs> These are serious questions here. Or what about the Irish slaves that got sent to the New World? What about them paying them reparations? They were slaves. Why don't we hear about that? Through all the blacks that, that are descended from slave slave owners, black slave owners in Africa. <laughs> this this makes no sense. We're in yeah. the, the lunatics are running the asylum now. Yeah, it's part of the looting phase. And of course, the looting phase also coincides with the luna, luna, lunacy phase or lunatic phase of it. Uh, it's just so deranged. But you do write out in the article how um, it goes back to, again, uh, what's the source of value? It's labor. Of course, if you're high on drugs, you can't work and be productive. Therefore, you can't produce wealth. And therefore, society falls apart because all you're not forming families, you're not uh, providing a population for a labor force which produces the wealth. That's why you have these deranged oligarchs who think they can somewhat substitute for labor with artificial intelligence or something. And you see that with the World Economic Forum and what's that, Yuval Noah Harari or something? You, yeah, yeah. You know, right, his crazy ideas. Absolutely. They're really deranged, I mean. Yeah, I mean, they don't know, I guess they don't know that. That labor is the source of that. They don't know that money is sterile. Money can't produce anything. You have to well, pay a worker to produce something. Yeah. You write it in the book. Is, is That book, was it Visor who wrote the book? It didn't have to be this way. It's sort of a libertarian or Austrian critique of, of the yeah. bust. Yeah. And he, better. he was in manufacturing. He comes mm -hmm. from a manufacturing uh, family. And uh, they were had a factory that produced parts for the automobile industry. And that 
he saw which way the wind was blowing, which is basically the the representative from uh, the uh, General Motors shows up and says, well, here's the new price range because this is what we can get it for in China. And gives mm. a long-standing uh, supplier of parts uh, now an ultimatum that you have to meet communist Chinese slave wages or else uh, you're out of the picture. So he sold out. He sold out. And and so you know, before I started Barrow Metal, I met and went and met with Harry. Harry was a, a, a player in politics, Republican politics. He also taught at Hillsdale for a while. Uh, but uh, so he agreed with everything I said. And then he writes this book. It didn't have to be this way about Austrian school economics, which is crazy, crazy stuff. Doesn't correspond to what he was doing when he was head of the factory. Well, he writes about the superiority of one thing is Austrian or libertarian economics, the gold standard and free trade uh, and the supremacy of the British Empire or Great Britain, how it became so wealthy un under that system. Uh, but then he ignores the fact that, of course, the contrary system, uh, Friedrich Liss's system in Germany, surpassed Great Britain by 1910, which is probably uh, the primary cause for the th second 30 years war in the 20th century. We call it World War One or World War Two, was right. German productivity, which is based on labor, right? And nurturing labor, nurturing a, po a productive labor, population, Liss, right? Germany protected labor, but before List spread the word in Germany, he came over here, and he basically created uh, the tariff that protected manufacturing over mm -hmm. here. Well. Wait a minute. Why is why is Harry Verizer defending the British Empire, which is free trade, which is basically what they believed was that we can undercut anybody's prices so we don't want any tariffs. We'll come in and we'll flood your economy with cheap cloth built uh, manufactured in Manchester and we'll drive all your cloth manufacturing to the wall. And then we you'll have to buy everything from us. Why do you think Gandhi used to sit around with a spinning wheel? Mm -hmm. because he was trying to get the people to break the habit of buying cheap British cotton to, to, to liberate India from the, the yoke of the British Empire. And that's exactly what happened in the United States. They put up the tariffs and they created a huge, powerful manufacturing base, which then got destroyed over the, 19 the course of the 1980s by the Jews from Wall Street. But now China's the, the, the workshop or factory of the world, which dumps its cheap goods on the world, right? That's right. That's right. And so like Michigan was being destroyed by that, uh, by that model, which was uh, or orchestrated or planned by, by Wall Street. You know, someone had to pay, build those factories. Uh, Look, it was it was Milton Friedman who went over in the 1970s and told the Chinese oligarchs how they could. Uh, segue from communism to capitalism and uh, basically make all their children billionaires. That's what that's exactly what happened. It was analogous to the looting of Russia, except that it was the Jews who looted Russia and took the money out of the country. Whereas in China, it was the Chinese communists who basically stole their own uh, capital, stole the, the, the capital that would have been created by the state and made their children billionaires. So they kept it in the family in China. But it was Milton Friedman who told them how to do it, how to do it. And it was Wall Street and also the, finan the financialization of U.S. industry 
which sees no benefit in nurturing a domestic labor force or population, which is uh, productive, healthy, and also reproductive, high birth rates, stable families, stable communities, just so they can boost short-term profit, they destroy uh, communities and towns, entire regions. And the government allowed them to do that because we had a de facto libertarian government here. Uh, I'm talking about Ronald Reagan who viewed labor, the first thing he did was uh, attack labor. First thing he did to send a message to spread terror throughout the working class. Yeah, and of course, this is an industry in general, which has been highly subsidized and capitalized by the federal government, particularly during the, the Second World War, and then protected by the American system. And they, at the end of the day, they showed no loyalty to the country, which uh, made them very rich. That's the right. system made them rich. That's right. Even the legal uh, existence of a corporation itself is a benefit the government bestows upon an entity. Yeah. Because there's all types of privileges and immunities. And um, I think if you want to locate all of that in one place, that place is Michigan, in particular Detroit. Mm -hmm. That was the victim of this 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 whole thing. And you, you cite also, in, it's not a coincidence, and of course, Michigan itself is a locus of opposition to sort of the bi-coastal liberal elites that, that, you know, that run the, run the country, the, particularly the, Jew, the, the Jewish uh, elite. Yeah. Run, the Jewish actors apparently run the, run the United States now, uh, empowered by all this that we talk about. But obviously, the, the cultural, you know, the Bible Belt, religious uh, Catholics, which they can't stand, but this was a source of opposition and it had to be smashed. And something like America First, which had to could only develop. Although, ironically, I think America First didn't really originally develop at Yale, but it really uh, took its membership was derived largely from the Midwest, right? So, the membership of what? America First. Oh, certainly, it yeah. was Midwest manufacturing. It's that yeah. it's that simple. They were that was the backbone of mm. of existence. That was the heart of what, what made this country prosperous. And, and uh, I'm saying it's continuing to this day. I'm saying that, that the, the, the leaker guy, Texera, that sounds very suspicious to me. It sounds like a setup. We're going after the people who we consider dangerous. And now it looks as if it's Catholics are considered dangerous now. Yeah, if you believe in God, country, gun ownership, or, or, or truth, <laughs> you're dangerous. And in a sense, maybe you are, you know, not in the way they mean it, but yes. Six uh, years ago, I said, if you if you think you're going to be uh, saved by being white, you're crazy. You know, they will come after you. They will destroy you. The whole point of this, these operations, these iconoclasm statues, like the thing in St. Louis, is to turn Catholics into white guys so that they can deprive them of their rights. Well, I think I was in some sense successful. That statue was still standing. But now they understood my game and now they're going after what I was saying. They're going to go after the Catholics now. That's clearly what Merrick Garland is doing. He's going after Catholics. Because no, the Jews... Why would he have any animosity? Why would Merrick Garland, as Josh Hawley, what, what do you have against Catholics? <laughs> Josh Hawley should have pursued it. Is it because you're Jewish? Now that would have gotten everybody to stand up and pay pay attention. Is it is it because uh, do you believe that abortion is a fundamental Jewish value? Why didn't Josh Hawley say that? This would have been able enabled all the people listening to connect the dots. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I get it. So, yeah, Jews are pro-abortion. Catholics are pro-life. You put a Jew in power, he's going to go after people that are violating his sacrament. Right? Yeah, and he's not going to respect the law or establish rules in the process. He's going to override that or get around it. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So a, a, a person like this is incapable of forcing, enforcing the law, certainly even-handedly. Okay, because the flip side, the other side of the coin is any Jewish, like financial criminal, uh, is going to get let go. Jeffrey Epstein got let off the hook by a Jewish lawyer because he was Jewish. And then the second time around where they couldn't do it, someone killed him. Uh, but how about Mr. Bankman Freed? Do you want to place any bets on how much prison time he's going to do? He's, he's, no, yeah, he's no longer in the headlines, is he? You hear about him every now and then because uh, this is going to be he's going to get some type of sweetheart deal. How I, I would I would be shocked if he spent a day in jail. If he spends a day in jail, it's going to be one of these country clubs uh, or, of the sort that uh, Jeffrey Epstein got. He got a sweetheart deal mm -hmm. uh, because he had a, uh, a a Jewish Jewish what was the Jewish prosecutor anyway. Whatever. The guy who got him off the hook was uh, given an award by the ADL. Well, that's that's consistent. The ADL was started to protect Jewish criminals, right? That's... It's wrong. <laughs> it's wrong. It violates everything that we believe as Americans, but it's consistent uh, Jewish behavior. Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. so, but yeah, there is something about America. The, the, so the liberal system, which is very vulnerable to sort of Jewish infiltration and corruption, meaning it because we're not supposed to identify as groups only as individuals. But then there, if there is a group that does organize as a group and is given special privileges as a group, they, ha they have a distinct advantage, you know. Right. Uh, and uh, evidently they've, they've uh, exercised those advantages. Um, but the... Um, Set, uh, yeah, we're coming up on an hour now, a little past an hour, so I'm going to be respectful of your time. But the article, yeah, it does. It is a story of uh, of uh, of the American working class in the latter half of the 20th century. Uh, the idea, the promotion of drug use and sex, drugs, and rock and roll, the development of libertarianism that that sort of rationalizes drug use and and, and free love, and its promotion in the media, and it's it's a way to sort of atomize the community, destroy. Uh, community cohesion. Uh, at the same time, uh, the libertarian doctrine is used to to destroy the um, the industrial base of the country, which is the source of employment for so many working class Americans. Um, and um, so, I do urge people to uh, to get a, a, a subscription to Culture Wars magazine and read the article. It's a very long article, but it is it goes in several different directions. But yet, at the end of it, you see where it all converges. And that's how these things kind of go, unfortunately. It's not it's something you can fit on a bumper sticker. <laughs> you know? No, I try to make things as simple as possible, but no simpler. Yeah. Uh, it's a great article. I really enjoyed it. Uh, 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 I said I read it twice. And it is, it's a take on drug legalization, a drug war that usually don't, so usually you either, you know, prefer prohibition or against it, right? Because of the, uh, the, the, the problems of the drug war and the corruption. But then again, you have the problems of drug abuse. Where you have a country that has been, well, one thing is, yeah, one thing is, you, if you have a group like the Jews using their influence in meeting government to undermine the morals of of the American people, which they have, they call they call it liberty or freedom, 
um, uh, you're going to have a pro- you're going to have problems like drug abuse and alcohol abuse and sex abuse and these things because no society can function if people have chaotic lives. And right. so you, you don't have public order if you, if you have internal chaos with people. And you quote Adam, John Adams, right? John Adams, who said that, the, right? We have no constitution that functions in the absence of a moral people. He was absolutely right. Yeah. So if and, all those in power are promoting immoral people, the system can't support, is going to collapse into chaos. They're thinking short term, the same way that the looters on Wall Street thought sh- short term about looting the manufacturing base of the country. And then it's a long term problem that, uh, that I, someone else will take care of that. I have I have to make my billions of dollars. It's like when Mitt Romney comes to town and the factory goes belly up and he built a big house on the West Coast with a, uh, a elevator garage that parks his cars and the elevator moves them up into his into his house. <laughs> Jeez. Can you say decadence? <laughs> this is outrageous. And then the guy thinks he's going to run for uh, run for president. I mean, there is a Newt Gingrich did a, he was running too. He did a video called when Mitt Romney came to town about uh, him uh, looting a, a I think it was a man a, a factory in Indiana that made washing machines. Just loot loaded down with money, wrecked the entire local economy after the thing went belly up, and he goes off to be a billionaire in his mansion in California. It it, it was doom. Anyone who saw that <laughs> would never vote for Mitt Romney. And those were the people that voted for Donald Trump because Donald Trump channeled America first mm-hmm. when he did it. And of course, your article is a lot about the, the uh, well, narcotics trafficking and drugs, how the very people enforcing the drug laws are actually promoting drug use, like George Hunter White of, of the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, Bureau of Narcotics. And he was also involved in Ultra. And he's all he's been drugging people uh, in you know, Operation Midnight Climax. A lot of people know about that. Um, and you mentioned outfits like Bain Capital, large companies like Walmart. There is some speculation that these companies were capitalized with illegal proceeds from the drug trade. It gives them, of course, an unfair advantage in the marketplace, which they use to destroy small and mid- regional or small businesses which is the source of a lot of upper mobility and, and good paying jobs for local people. But then after they come in and destroy small mom and pop operations, if you will, everyone has to go work at Walmart. Right. You know, you know, it, you know, where everyday low, low prices means everyday low wages too. So that's exactly the point. Yeah. It's and, a dynamic people don't really see in our economy, how it's being manipulated, you know? So no, you get cheap junk from China and then you realize, Hey, I can't even buy the cheap junk from China anymore because my wages are so low. Yes. Yeah, and then of course everything's because of you. You have a homosexual like Pete Buttigieg running the uh, transportation department. Everything's everything's being stopped at the ports because that's not being dealt with. Because he's too busy talking about racist roads, and uh, he's on maternity leave, even, even though he's not a mother. So yeah. Uh, so anyway, so the article is Michigan for Dummies: How Rainbow Farm inaugurated the dope culture in the Wolverine State. It's again, it's a story of the hollowing out of America's industrial base. The corruption of its working class and, of course, the, the sort of the uh, impoverishment and miseration of the American people, all so a few people could, could get rich. So, uh, great article. Thank you, Dr. Jones. Thank you, Tim. It's always a pleasure. The articles at culturewars.com. Uh, you can uh, subscribe there. 
but it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Tim. Thank you so much. You have a nice evening. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.